Welcome to the Father Jim Willig Gospel Teachings Podcast, presented by Heart to Heart, a Catholic media ministry. Father Jim was a well-known and much-loved diocesan priest from Cincinnati, Ohio. Inspired by God's Word, for many years, Father Jim presented a weekly Bible study on the Sunday Gospels. In 2001, Father Jim went home to the Lord after a battle with cancer, but his recordings and teachings live on to inspire thousands. First, we hear from Father Jim's good friend, Jesuit priest, Father Michael Sparrow, who opens this podcast by proclaiming the gospel reading. Then, Father Jim's illuminating gospel teaching follows. A reading from the Holy Gospel, according to Luke. As Jesus continued his journey to Jerusalem, he traveled through Samaria, and Galilee. As he was entering a village, ten lepers met him. They stood at a distance from him and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. As they were going, they were cleansed. And one of them, realizing that he had been healed, returned, glorifying God in a loud voice. And he fell at the feet of Jesus and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Jesus said in reply, Ten were cleansed, were they not? Where are the other nine? Has none but this foreigner returned to give thanks to God? Then he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has saved you. The Gospel of the Lord. There was a salesman who was out of town on business, and he spent the evening with a business associate who had invited him home with him to have enjoy a dinner with his wife and children. And during that evening meal, the salesman was so impressed with his friend's attitude of gratitude toward his wife, his children, and how he noticed repeatedly he expressed his thanks to his lovely wife for any number of reasons. And he made a promise to himself, you know, I've taken my wife for granted so much. As soon as I get home, I'm going to try to imitate this good example. So sure enough, the next day when he was home after work, the first thing he does coming back home was to go right into the kitchen where he found his wife, He went up to her, hugged her, kissed her, and said, Honey, I just want you to know you are the most wonderful woman in the world. I just love the kind of wife you are to me and the kind of mother you are to our kids. I just want to tell you how much I love and appreciate you. And the poor woman broke down in tears. And he said, What's wrong? And she says, Well, first, my mother drops over and tells me all the 
problems she's having with her health. And then Johnny comes home from school and shows me his failing marks on his test. And then Susie comes home and shares with me she's having a falling out with her friends. And now you come home, listen to you, you're drunk. <laughs> it may seem out of character for some of us to be so grateful, but wouldn't that be a good thing? Our parents all taught us three magical words that were absolutely necessary to say, and you know the first word is please, and the second and third word are thank you, and how important those words are and how You've noticed, I'm sure, we live in a society that often takes people and favors for granted. And, of course, it's good business to be grateful. That's why so many clerks and salespeople will always say routinely, thank you. But how more important it is for us Christians to develop that attitude of gratitude. And so I'd like to speak about that today, as certainly that's at the heart of our gospel story. And as we find our way to the gospel, I'd like to segue into, in such a way that you could quickly and easily find yourselves in the shoes of those lepers. I tried on the shoes myself this week as I prayed and reflected on the question, why am I not more grateful myself? And, you know, this might be true of you, I don't know, but my life is so busy doing so many things, going often from one problem to another, and from dealing with this demand and that demand, our lives get so hectic, and what often preoccupies our attention are the troubles, right? That sometimes, some days, I forget how much I really enjoy doing what I'm doing, I certainly forget to stop and take notice of all the gifts from God that we quickly, easily take for granted. So are we any different, maybe, than those lepers? I don't know. But let's go back to that place where the gospel happens. We're told in the opening line, Jesus is on this journey to Jerusalem, He's passing the borders of Samaria in Galilee. Just to have clear in our mind, if we're going to do any kind of serious gospel study, to have some kind of pictorial image of this geography of the Holy Land. And so this is a pictorial map of Palestine in the time of Christ. Notice they called that Holy Land Palestine. You can see that the Palestine is situated to the east of the Mediterranean Sea. If you were to go across it, you could find Italy, Greece, etc. And if you were to go across the width of that country, which isn't that long or wide, it borders on the other side with the Jordan River. To the north, the source is the Sea of Galilee. To the south, the Dead Sea. And that trickles down southbound. Palestine could be easily divided into three sections. The northern section is Galilee. This is where Jesus spent 
most of his public ministry and his private life, that's where Nazareth is, where he grew up. That's where Capernaum is, and it's where so Jesus spent most of his public ministry and his private life. So in Upper Galilee, it was a more rural area, but cosmopolitan area too, because there were a number of trading routes that went through there. The middle section, Samaria, remember these are the outcast people who had intermarried and mingled with the Assyrians who conquered Israel some eight centuries before Christ, and Jewish people who were conscious of pure blood and bred children uh, considered them infidels or heretics because they had not only intermarried in mixing the blood line, but also intermingled some of their pagan practices with some of their old Jewish beliefs. So they considered them outcasts. And that causes some problem, of course, when you want to go from Galilee down to Judea, the southernmost region. Remember how many times Jesus, they wouldn't even let him go through. Well, that's hard. You've got to go around then. So Judea, of course, is where Bethlehem is. It's where Jerusalem is. And that's where Jesus was going on this pilgrimage from northern Galilee to southern Judea, passing through the border of Samaria. So take a good mental picture of that and keep that in mind because that's the opening line that situates our gospel today. And we begin to see that this journey is not only geographical, it's theological. It's really a pilgrimage that is a very holy journey with a special mission in mind. Jesus is going to give his life, ultimately in Jerusalem, as did many of the prophets before him. So on this journey, we have these chapters of Luke in the middle section of the Gospel that relate these incidents that talk about what would be for any of us the journey through life. So this is a very interesting way of situating our our Gospel story today. With that in mind, there appears on the scene ten lepers that come to greet Christ. Of course, they keep their distance You might know this background, but give a quick briefing on leprosy in the first century. Leprosy is not the leprosy that we know to be Hansen's disease today. Biblical scholars and medical scientists all agree Hansen's disease did not exist back then in that part of the world. But what they are describing is something that's referred to in the book of Leviticus, which is the fourth book of the Bible, you would know, that describes a skin condition or irritation that caused some kind of flaking or scaling of the skin that was a little repulsive, and they considered that some kind of a curse. So the double tragedy of leprosy was not only was it a physical ailment, but it was also a social disgrace. Because they considered that person unclean, they were isolated from their families and friends. Now, think back just a century ago, anyone who was diagnosed with Hansen's disease of leprosy were quarantined and taken to some place like out in Malachi, you remember me talking about Damien the leper priest in Hawaii. So these people were taken from their families, from their friends, they were ostracized from their entire society. 
and they were not even allowed to mingle in public with the other people. They had to keep a safe distance, and when they got close to anyone, they had to yell out, unclean, unclean. Therefore, they were not even allowed to enter into the synagogue with the other people. They were even kept from their religious services. Moreover, they were forbidden to enter into anyone's private home or public buildings, finding no welcome anywhere. They were forced to find refuge among themselves, living in caves or on the outskirts of villages or cities. I think uh, you heard me talk last week about St. Francis of Assisi and how he had this repulsion toward lepers and how they lived on the outskirts. His first home was to live with and work with these lepers. He's learned to accept them and embrace them. So well, that's the 13th century. So if we're going back to the 1st century again, they were completely ostracized from the entire community. But worse still may be the stigma that they were considered to have brought this on themselves by some kind of sin. And... Therefore, this was seen to be a kind of a punishment from God. Remember, this is pre-medical days. They saw everything in rather black and white terms. From Good came from God, bad came from the devil. So that's how they interpreted things so unfairly. And so the lepers were forced then to live a life of begging for mercy. They weren't able to work as usual and that's why they approached Jesus, crying for pity and mercy. Just a hypothetical comment here. This is, you wonder, how could people be so cruel? But you would know that even people today might view persons with AIDS in the same way. Terrible, sinful people, God's punishing them, and don't touch them. Uh, we need to keep them away from society. It's the same kind of thinking, I believe can go on in our own day and age. Jesus, who always crossed over the boundaries of what his culture set up, finds himself again showing great compassion to these poor men and women with this dreaded disease. And so he approaches them and says to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. What Jesus was prescribing here was it's only the priest who could determine the person was clean and they could be admitted back into their families and back into society and welcomed back into the temple and synagogue. So Jesus sent them on their way to determine that they were healed. Now this is the remarkable thing, and I even overlooked this myself before I studied it more carefully. By the fact that the lepers did go on their way to the priests shows a remarkable faith on their part. They're going to show that they are healed before they displayed any outward sign of that healing. And we're told in the next line, they went on their way, and on their way they were healed. What that might suggest to us is that healing is a process where we often have to take the first step. You know how people who are hurting for any number of reasons, for something that happens in their life, and they need to go to counseling. And it takes a while before they can unravel 
their hurt and begin to experience some healing and be at some peace for what had happened in their life. Healing is a process that happens when they're on their way to going to where they can find that help. So we, of course, want to be asking the question, if we find ourselves in those shoes, where do we go for healing? Where do we go for help? We need to know where to go on our way to experience that same kind of healing. Because who, who of us isn't afflicted with some some problem that causes us some pain? The interesting thing is, while they're on their way, Luke narrates they were cured, but one of them realizing that he had been cured. Now, the Greek word in this text, you know, we refer to the Greek word because uh, these Gospels were originally written in Greek. The word for realizing is actually better translated seeing. By using that word, the implication is he saw or realized before the others did or what they had apparently had overlooked, namely, not only the healing, but the source of the healing. Recognizing this, this man immediately turns around and goes back to give thanks to God. And not just in a little simple way. Notice this. In fact, picture this. The man threw himself on his face threw himself on his face at the feet of Jesus and spoke his praises. I'll be honest with you. If somebody did that in our church, during our church service, the ushers would come and lead him out. Something about this man who was able to freely and fully express his thanksgiving where many of us hold it in and hold it back. You, you understand my point. So Jesus responds very appreciatively and affirmatively to the man and says, we're not all ten made whole. This amazes Jesus. Like, where are the other nine? He knew they were all being healed. Now this is no small thing. We have to presume that all of them were grateful. How could they not be grateful for what happened? Let me reiterate what their healing meant. It meant that now they were able to rejoin their families. Now they were able to return to their jobs. Now they were able to walk gracefully, not disgracefully, in public. Now they were able to pray and return to the temple and to the synagogue. Now they got a life again. This is tremendous recovery. So Jesus is saying, where are the others? Why wouldn't they return to give thanks to God? Now, it isn't like Jesus is looking for affirmation for himself. His point is, why didn't they return to give thanks to God except this foreigner? Now, imagine this. We're presuming the others are fellow Jews. How easy it is for us to take for granted our own people, our own family, our own friends, who are the nicest and kindest to us all the time. But here's who is even considered an enemy. Jews and, and Samaritans did not associate with each other, except that they were a total outcast, which is the case here. And anyway, this man returns to give thanks to God. Then Jesus says to him in this wonderful 
last line of the gospel, it just seems to to highlight, you know, this culmination of healing. He says, stand up and go your way. What's this way? You know, that's what the early Christians were called, people of the way. Go your way. Your faith has been your salvation. Your faith is what brings about the full healing. The others received a cure, but this man received full healing, which is what salvation means. We use the word save or salve. Salvation means full healing of body and soul. This man is totally healed. And this is just remarkable. And he is held up by Luke and his community as the example of all those of us who try to follow Jesus. That we too must first come for healing, that we could be cured of the leprosy of our own sinfulness, and then always give thanks to God for saving us and leading us to salvation. One valuable practice we have as Christians is to say grace at meals. You understand that word, grace means gift. It's a good discipline to just stop and say, this is a grace, this is a gift. And name not only the food, but whatever else comes to mind. So may we continue to always say grace at every opportunity where we're being fed at every different level. Secondly, I find a more natural time to say grace, to offer thanks is in the morning or in the evening, particularly in the evening, to develop that habit of saying thanks to God, where I am so accustomed to asking things of God. You know, when we talk about praying, yeah, God, I want this and this, and help me with this, and please remember so-and-so, that we be sure to include prayers of thanksgiving, especially maybe in the evening as we recall or relive some moments of the day. And finally, obviously, one way we express thanks to God is by thanking and appreciating one another. I know what a difference that makes when people uh, express that to me, and I'm sure for you. When we take a moment to sincerely compliment, affirm, appreciate one another. Lastly, a cute little story I've read this week about a famous Scottish surgeon by the name of Joseph Lister, who was once called upon in an emergency to care for this wealthy man who had a fishbone stuck in his throat. This fine doctor skillfully removed the fishbone and saved the man's life. This man was obviously so filled with gratitude, he said to the doctor, Doctor, how much do I owe you for this? And Dr. Lister replied, Suppose that we settle for half of what you were willing to give me when the fishbone was still stuck in your throat. (laughs) If that is the case, imagine how much thanks we owe to God. While we are still sinners, he comes to save us. While we're still so much in need, he still comes to help us. We have so much to give thanks for. Finally, 
it seems appropriate that I would share with you that I am very thankful to God for you and for this opportunity together to offer this gospel study that would help us week by week, little by little, become the people God wants us to be. I'm very thankful. Amen. Thank you for listening to Father Jim's Gospel Teaching. We hope you have been inspired and will subscribe to this weekly podcast and share it with your family and friends. The mission of Heart to Heart is to proclaim the good news of God's Son, Jesus, to the entire world. For more inspirational teachings by Father Jim and Father Michael, visit our website, www.htoh.us. May God bless your heart and the hearts of all your loved ones.